You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. It is now time to welcome in our pal Joel Klatt. Lead college football analyst at uh, Fox Sports, former NFL, uh, former well, yeah, for a brief time in the NFL, sure. former CU great, yeah, who uh, loves all this CU talk. He joins us now, presented by Audi Flatirons. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. What's up, fellas? Oh, you know, we're just kind of hashing it out. We're talking about the process and how it takes some time for an offense to kind of click, for an offense to feel itself, and you know, for a quarterback to also feel that. But uh, one of the things I want to ask you about, Joel, because it's been really interesting to me, one of the issues that Russell Wilson had in Seattle and has had throughout his career is his propensity to bail out the back of the pocket, take sacks, and instead of being second down and three, if you're motoring up in the pocket, you know, manipulating the pocket, and you get sacked and be second down 13, excuse me, uh, you know, it's second down and 19, second down and 20, and something like I've watched and practiced them working on. So my, my question to you is, how difficult is that as a quarterback to start to feel comfortable climbing that pocket and kind of sliding within that pocket, scrambling within that pocket? You know, I think that, that pocket movement, is innate and and it it generally is 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 hard to teach someone to to change the way that they are going to move in the pocket okay because those are not things that you're thinking about on the in the game nor should you be thinking about during the game so the, the, it has to just be kind of part of your dna how you move what you want to do how you whether you climb whether you escape and his ability to escape, in large part, is what makes him effective. And his ability to get out and then see the field better, um, be dangerous as a runner, uh, those are things that have really made him effective in the past. And it's something where you've got to live with parts of the downside, which are occasionally a second and 12 or second and 13, because of what what that provides you when he gets out and, and, and the plays that he does make. Right. It's an opportunity cost. It's it's you're you're hoping that he's going to make, you know, 60 percent of the time, make the bigger play versus the worst play. And 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 to me, like a a guy at this stage of his career, I just don't I well, I just don't think that you're going to change the way that he innately reacts and moves on the football field. Because it is a reaction. You're not thinking about it. If he's thinking about, like, okay, climb here, I, uh, that, that's not what you, you should be thinking about on the field. Then what is your, I guess, forecast for all these athletic quarterbacks who are coming into the NFL who can play right away because of their ability to make plays with their legs, but let's face it, have a long way to go to becoming polished NFL quarterbacks? Are, are you saying they have a limited shelf life in this league because of of the challenges of of learning new stuff along the way well of course of course like <laughs> like that it's it's like a, a golfer with a super explosive injury prone swing versus a very fluid longer swing one's gonna have a shorter shelf life than the other um and and that's that's what it is Right. There's a reason why Tom Brady can play as long as he did and Manning played as long as he did and what Rodgers is doing and maybe a guy like Drew Brees versus other guys throughout the league's history that didn't play that way. 
there there is a reason for that. So I think I think not looking at that with clear eyes is is our fault as evaluators versus a player's fault and saying like, well, why can't he, you know, play longer or, or change his style? Guys don't generally change their style. Mark, I would ask you, like, have you ever seen a guy be really effective, change the way he plays completely, and still be really effective? Yeah, the, the only guy, I played with Rich Gannon. And Rich Gannon in his early career, and Rich would tell you this, like, he was all over the place, you know, scrambling and, and doing all kinds of things and just really wasn't really wasn't a polished quarterback that became polished late in his career after 10 years of kind of scrambling around and breaking down. But it just it rarely in anything, it rarely happens um, that way. What, what was your overall assessment? Do you watch the game? What was your overall yeah. assessment of the offense and? And Russell Wilson, what'd you like? What'd you dislike? Just give me a kind of assessment of what you saw. I liked that they played a decent amount. Um, and I did not like the offensive line play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that the offensive line play was quite poor. Um, and, you know, I liked that they got it together and started to move the ball after the first series or so. Um, but... After that, I tell you what's hard for me in these preseasons is that a lot of, like all of us, I would say, and I'm not just, you know, laying this blame on others, all of us want to see something that really resembles, like, is this what it's going to be like? You know, we want to know, we want to know what the offense is going to look like, feel like, be like, how effective they're going to be in the regular season. Here's the hard part, is that even in a preseason game, you're really not getting a feel for how effective this offense can be or will be. Because while they're playing live and and it's close, it's close to what it's going to be like in the regular season, that's not game-planned football. Mm-hmm. Mark, you know this. Yeah. They don't game like They literally just practice up until the game, and then they're like, okay, we, we probably will see this maybe uh, against Arizona, and you know, maybe this will be a third down play or something. But it's not a, it's not a game plan. You're not scheming. You know, this is base defense. These are glorified scrimmages against other teams. And you're going out there and you're running your base system and you're not really prepping against the opponent. You're not taking advantage of their structures, nor are you trying to manipulate their structures, which is where I think Sean Payton is at his best. So are we getting a full view of what the Denver Broncos might be on offense last week against Arizona? No. No, we're not. We're getting what the coaches want to see on film so that they can teach further the system moving forward. So, I want to just reserve the right to reserve judgment. And and I saw some things that were good, some things that were bad, and obviously they're going to get that cleaned up on the film and kind of move forward from there. Busy with Joel Klatt, as it is presented by the Ford F-150 Lightning, all-electric and built Ford Tough. I, Mark, I want you to set it up because you're okay. the one that's been making a, a big deal about this, and who better to ask than a quarterback? The role of the receivers when they're not getting the ball. Yeah, I just I see some like I see some lack of explosiveness out of the, you know at the top of the stem um, where. You know, everybody sits and talks about, hey, Jerry Judy's wide open. Yeah, after Russ has already left him. 
Um, I, I just see I just see some things that are again coaching wise inconsistent and kind of lack of a lack of timing. You know, you know I'm talking about the the timing of a route, yeah. the timing of, and the spacing, sure. the spacing of routes and. You know, you want to influence. You want to put somebody in conflict, right? And if you're a little bit late out of your break, you know what you don't do? You don't put that guy in conflict. So that guy can play. You know, he can play whatever he wants. He can he can basically take away two routes. So th- those are some of the things I see. And everybody looks at Russell Wilson and says, well, Russell is not playing well. And I look at it going, well, you know what? That receiver's not even giving him a chance because that route is just not as clean as it needs to be. Does that yeah. – do you see that? It's a a great question. Let's let's go back in order to go forward. Um, I think that a a wide receiver individually really only needs to do two things. Mike, we actually, you and I were sitting next to each other at a a Bill Belichick press conference when he said this, and this has stuck with me ever since, ever since. And he said, like, hey, for us, you know, like wide receivers, for me, a wide receiver – has two jobs, get open, so create space, catch the ball. That's it. That's it. Now, a lot goes into that, obviously, um, in terms of timing, in terms of picture. But that that is then more what you're expecting out of the group. Okay, so individually, you're expected to create space and catch the football. As a group, you're expected to create pictures on time. And that's where you get into the spacing that you were just referring to, Mark. Whether it's man or whether it's zone, you've got to understand what you're looking at from a defensive structure in order to create a picture for the quarterback that's clear on his timing so that he can get rid of the football. That's your job as a wide receiver and then as a wide receiver group. If it's against zone coverage, you've got to put specific defenders in conflict. Those are called zone movement keys. Generally speaking, in the five releases that are out there on any given offensive play, three of those players are going to be in some sort of triangular fashion putting a defender in conflict, whether that's horizontal conflict or vertical conflict. You're trying to create a a zone movement key that the quarterback can then make him wrong. Now, the other two wide receivers within that picture either have an alert based on coverage or they're in some sort of structure that is holding opposite defenders that are not the zone movement key so that they cannot crash into and, and, and affect or impact that, that structure that you're creating in order to put that one defender in conflict. Man coverage, very different. You have got to be running. You've got to be creating individual space in order for the progression to be read on time. One, two, three, four, five. That's how it's worked. This is how it works from a very simplistic nature. If you have guys that are not, whether, you know, as you explained it, like explosive or they're not on time, all of those things are thrown off and it makes the quarterback's job exponentially harder. If I'm trying to run, let's say something very basic, right? Z curl or something curl flat combination. Mm -hmm. And my curl route gets hung up, doesn't get a good release, isn't ready. Then I can't put the hook curl defender in conflict. Likewise, if my flat route is not there on time, I can't put the hook curl defender in conflict, which means that I've got to hold the ball an extra pat, which means that the offensive line is put under 
uh, further duress, which means people are going to think that I'm not doing my job as a quarterback, but really I just got screwed by a wide receiver. Now, am I seeing that? There are times that I see that with the Denver Broncos. There's no doubt. But it is a very important process when it comes to throwing the football. I think that, that as, as a group, the wide receivers have to be on the same page and they have to be on the same, the same timing. This is why I've never felt like, oh, yeah, just pay one guy a bunch of money so that he can go win. Yeah, I mean, that'll help at times. There's no doubt, and I don't want to dismiss that, but it's really about those pictures and those structures because as a group, if the structure and the picture is created, if you're winning your one-on-one matchup against man coverage, then the quarterback can deliver the ball on time, and if he does it accurately, then you've got something, and you can create yards after the catch, and you can create explosive plays. Man, I got the vapors. What do you think, do you think the ladies in Fort Collins are doing? Oh, right they're now? swooning. Yeah, absolutely swooning There's right no now. Question. As we get set for September second, you're going to be calling the first two CU games, and I, I want you to. I saw you talk about this on a podcast this summer, so I want you to say it because I don't want to put words in your mouth. When we talk about what would signal a a good season for CU, first year under Deion Sanders, the improvement and the challenges are going from one win to, let's say, a bowl game, winning six games. You broke it down. You broke it down in a way that I thought was was really good, and I don't don't want to try to speak for you. So what, what did you say and what would be the different levels of improvement? Well, if you look at at plus victories in the win column, a staggering amount, right? I think that the the most that we saw last year was a plus six um, in the win column. I can't remember exactly who that was. I believe it was Washington. Yes. um, That was a plus six in the win column. That just, it doesn't happen, generally speaking. Plus four is a, a huge step forward plus three really big step forward well you know when you're looking at Colorado you know and you look at their schedule a plus four would be a a giant year it would be a giant year and people are like well hold on Joel that's only five wins yeah I know that with their schedule if you're going plus four in the win column Man, they have done something really special. That would be upper echelon, top 1% improvement in all of college football. That's just the sheer numbers of it. Which means if, for some reason, they were to get to a bowl game and get to six victories, that would be, I think, the best coaching job in the entire country, regardless of what was going on anywhere else. Someone else, you know, TCU could have another run to the national championship, and it's like, Coach Prime would be doing something even far greater than that if he was going to a bowl game at Colorado. So that's where I was I was referencing this. You know, as much as we all want this to turn around quickly and, and Coach Prime wants it to turn around quickly, there is some some level of reality that we have to look at. And what I look at is those pluses in the win column. How many more wins can you have versus the year previous? If you get to plus four, you've done something really good. If you get to plus five, that's upper echelon. If they were to go plus six, like that's crazy. What's your Absolutely floor? Crazy. What's your floor? Where where does it have to be? Plus what in order to feel like okay, that was a good first year? Plus what? Plus two. Three wins. So three. Yeah, three wins would be a really good year. Okay. And and that's where I bet people are like, wait, what? 
But think about it. Plus two in the win column is is a good improvement. I didn't say great. I didn't say great. Great year would be getting to four wins. Uh, in particular with the schedule they have. They've got a tough non-conference schedule. they got to go to the defend, defending national runner-up. they got to go on the road for their first game. <clears throat> They're welcome, welcoming Nebraska uh, at, at home. They've got USC. They've got Oregon. Like, the Pac-12 is loaded. I've got five Pac-12 teams in my top 15 going into the year. I've got Washington, USC, Utah, Oregon, and Oregon State. So this is a conference loaded with quarterbacks, good coaches, and a really deep roster of teams. If Colorado got to four victories this year, that would be a great year. If they get to five, like I, I think that they would, that would be an exponentially great year. Okay, yeah. all that talent, the Pac-12, get rid of that Pac-12 thing. Not West will benefit. Hey, Joel, thanks, buddy. You talk about, like, the Richard Nines. Richard to a 1,000 in the Pac-12 conference, man. I tell you what, the arrogance there, they killed their own conference. Right. Last, last year, they had a chance to sign a, a television deal worth $40 million per school and turned it down. Ugh. Oh, man, I could go. We could talk for an hour about this conference realignment stuff, but we don't have to. Thank you, Joel. Thanks, Joel. You're the best, boys. Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons, each and every week with us. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.